Welcome back to the flip side. I'm Galen Clavio. Brian Moritz is with me. We're in week two of lockdown. Dun, dun, dun. Trying to figure out what the heck to do with ourselves. Seemed like a good day to podcast. We hadn't podcasted yet so far this week. Had or did we? No. No. Uh, no, because we recorded last Friday. Was our was the was the was the anti-Texans podcast? So that's right. That's right. I I will say this week's gone faster than last week. It has. Yeah. It's already. I mean. I mean, day, day. I mean, days are always a social construct, and that. And I think everyone is really realizing that right now. Um, but now, I mean, now that's definitely the case. Where now this is like that Thursday. What a concept meme has just taken a whole new, taken to a whole new level right now. But, um, but yeah, it does seem like I don't know about you, but it seems like we're we're the the novelty of this has kind of worn off. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's now like. Oh, this is just kind of what we do, and so like, um, I don't. Know, it seems I don't know if easier is the right word, but it just seems like kind of like okay, this is life now, and yeah. it's weird, but it's still life now. So no, no, no. I think there's something to be said for that. There's a certain, I think any, almost almost any, not any, but almost any environment or circumstance that you're in for a long period of time, as long as it's relatively livable you're going to find a way to adapt. It's one of the things about human beings, as much as we self-criticize as a species, we're actually a pretty adaptable group of people. And that helps, I think, in situations like this. Although it doesn't make it necessarily great, it just helps. No, no, no. And, like, we were able to make a big grocery store run this week, and, like, the, the restocking was, like, that was, like, this weirdly significant moment of like hey i'm out and not just that i'm out and doing stuff because we haven't been out since but like okay now i don't feel like i'm rationing food right and like have to like really question each thing i can like eat uh, eat a normal meal or something like that or it just ca- had that feel of normalcy to it or whatever plus um my daughter has discovered ha- we bought animal crossing oh, uh, a new animal crossing game for uh for nintendo and that is like the best thing for my productivity this week because a she's addicted to it she's nine and she's all in but like what i love about it so much and i think your daughters are playing it too did i see that on on social media my wife is your wife well you know what's great about this game is i heard it described this week as the great british baking show of video games and i think that's right because it's so nice like there's no real conflict like the other game we've been playing is super smash brothers which is not probably there's some catharsis to that, but it's probably not the healthiest model to be living when you're in, in the same house as, you know, a group of people for like a period of time. But this is just like, it's like Sims. It's like world building. There's not a lot of meanness. It's just very, very nice, very calm, very, very chill. It's nicer than Sims. Like you could do some really nasty stuff in the Sims. If you really I, wanted to, you could, I've you know, only played Sims once. I downloaded it from my phone a few weeks ago and then I got bored with it. So. You can drop, you know, you could get somebody to go swimming in a pool and then take the ladder out and then they drown because they can't get out. <laughs> uh, you could, uh, you could lock, like have someone walk into a bedroom and then remove the door. And then eventually they, they die. It's very like, you know, ca- you know cask of Monte Crisco or, or, uh, you know, sort of thing. Um, Cristo, not Crisco, yeah. uh, but uh, <laughs> Monte Crisco would happen in the kitchen, certainly. But uh, right. yeah, there's all kinds of nasty things you could do in The Sims. You don't really do an Animal Crossing. I think it's actually it's a it's it's a nice, relaxing 
tranquil game. There's another game like that out there for those of you who might be looking. It's very similar to Animal Crossing. I think I guess Animal Crossing came first, but it's called Stardew Valley. I've heard of that, yeah. Which is also a very relaxing game. It's uh, it's something I've enjoyed playing over the course of time. Uh, it's very very easy on the brain. So, um, a bunch of things I'd like to get to in the 30 minutes or so that we've allotted ourselves for the podcast. But the first thing I, I noticed, and you mentioned grocery store trips. I went out, I've, I'm, I'm the designated shopper, not just for my family, but for my mom who lives in our neighborhood, but for, you know, for age reasons is someone we're trying to keep from going out. And so, sure. you know, I've been making grocery runs for her and grocery runs for myself and my wife and the kids. And um, I've, I've noticed that my my barriers to purchasing junk food have dropped precipitously oh, oh it's gone yeah. it's weird and my wife even mentioned this like i never thought i'd see you you know buy uh, you know like mass-produced cookies ever again uh and i have and so on that topic i'm gonna ask you in a quarantine if you have to go in and buy three mass-produced cookie types to bring back like the brands what are you choosing and why I, 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 I'm You've been preparing for this answer your whole life. <laughs> I, I really have. Because um, we did the same thing. And part of it was there was no flour at our Wegmans when we went. And my wife likes to bake cookies and like chocolate chip cookies. You know, you whip them together and they're, they're, they, they come together pretty quickly. But we're, 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 keeping, uh, we're keeping our flour used to a minimum and we couldn't replace it. So we did go store-bought. So store-bought cookies I'm going with. Number one is the classic Oreo. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. We not the double stuff. Not we had the mega stuff recently, um, which was not exactly a war crime, but it was a little bit more than I think you're going to. The Oreo has a has kind of a perfect ratio of cookie See, to filling and, and sustenance to it. It reminds me of, I think it was Tricks when I was a kid. Used to have they used to be tested mother approved. Well, right, yes, they used to be the. The, the the fruit flavor version of kicks you know and kicks the little corn balls yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's kid tested mother approved. yeah yeah that's kicks tricks was like you know oh here's you know rainbow flavors of all of those and then in like the early 90s they switched to fruit shapes and frankly the fruit the it, it sucked like it was like i don't want like a little banana and oh. a little lime. I just want the little balls, you know, with the with the fake food coloring and the flavors that are like not really fruit flavors. They're not really flavors. Because you're not really buying tricks for the flavors. Or you are, you're, I mean, you're buying it for the overall ensemble, but you're not buying it because you want fruit shapes. You're buying it because you like how it is. And I feel the same way with Oreos. Like Oreo, it's our, Oreos RJR Nabisco, and they've, you know, they they assumed people liked the cream in the oreos and maybe there was some test group that they pulled out of some you know upper class suburban neighborhood who was like oh i love the filling um but in reality it's the ratio of filling to chocolate that makes oreos good which is flawless on the original right I mean, it's the perfect mix. and if you're overdoing it's kind of like when when um like ballpark came out with like you know bun length hot dogs and it's like, well, nobody likes the extra bun. And it's like, that's not true. That's actually that's that is that is not true. We don't want extra hot dog. Right. Um, you know, it, it's amazing the number of companies over the course of time that have decided wrongly what consumers actually want. Anyway, mm -hmm. Oreos is your first choice. Where are you going next? All right, I am going uh, Chips Ahoy. 
because we bought those the other day. Now, I will admit they are a flawed substitute for actual chocolate chip cookies, like homemade or real chocolate chip cookies. Completely understand. But I'm saying if I have to, if I'm buying store-bought manufactured cookies, I'm going for it. It's a good it's just a solid like pop a couple in your mouth or if you have milk or some sort of dairy product to dunk in they they, they actually handle really well with the, they have really a high dunkability index is really high on them so i'm going to go with that and then it's a massive drop off i think to the next one um i think because i'm not a nutter butter guy just i don't disagree don't don't have any hatred for it i'm just not a, not something i'm in for um, I think if I got to go with anyone, I'm going to go with the Keebler, everybody, the EL fudge, yeah. the like two shortbread crackers. Again, it's kind of like an Oreo situation, but with the fudge middle and the, and, and the two kind of shortbread shaped like an elf. So you're eating. So the elves are making themselves to be eaten. It's a really weird situation, but, oh no, wait, no, shoot. I'm sorry. Scratch that. They're my fourth, that they're, they're my first free agent pick. The 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 short I I'm, I'm forgetting the names but the the shortbread cookie that have like the chocolate base and then the chocolate drizzle across, fudge stripes you know, like, fudge stripes thank you yes fudge stripes number three pick absolutely so this is interesting because Brian and I did not uh, interact beforehand about this list and yet two of your three are the same as two of my three because I do, right. certainly Oreos are on there and fudge stripes are on there those have been far and away my favorite cookie when I was buying those types of cookies since I was a kid. The third actually is one you mentioned that you said you weren't uh, a fan of, which is the Nutter Butters. Uh, those have actually, I think, I don't really, like Nutter Butters have been around for a while, but it feels like in the 80s and 90s, they were way back in the background as far yes. as the yes. brand options, and they've gotten more and more prominent as time has gone by, and I think rightfully so, because... You know, they they occupy their own special place. They're not there's they're not chocolate. Mm -hmm. They don't have chips or other things like that. But you know, but they're probably the best peanut butter flavor cookie mass produced that you can get on the market, at least that I'm aware of. I could absolutely, yeah. yeah. No, um, no question on that. I almost I, I was going to suggest chewy chips ahoy as opposed because my my one issue with the regular chips ahoy is that they're they're too small to be a, an effective hard chocolate chip cookie. And I, I feel like the, the Chewy Chips Ahoy, there's like at least, it's kind of like soft batch cookies were back in the day. soft batch. I remember but, those. Those were, yeah. Yeah, but I don't think that, that, maybe they make soft batch still, but I haven't seen them in years. So that's the kind of the closest thing you can get to that. But I, I would still mm -hmm. have those below the three that I mentioned before. So All fair. All fair picks. Let's, uh, let's tackle some reader or not reader, listener questions, and and try to grasp what's on the minds of the people out there. There's a lot of different uh, questions that came in. We're not going to be able to get to all of them, but uh, Mark Cady had one. If given only one piece of meat to survive corona, what would you choose? So if you can only select one cut of meat of any sort that you have oh. to eat until Corona's over. Like, let's say we're in a, you have to go, you know, live underground for two or three years until this whole thing's over with. What are you, what are you rolling with? Oh God. Okay. That's a tough question. Um, one cut. Um, I mean, okay. Okay. I'm going to go with the, uh, the, the pork shoulder. Hmm. 
because again, I'm thinking if I got a last on this, it's versatility, right? Like the easy thing is like in my family, we're a big chicken breast family and chicken thighs would be similar, right? You can buy them in bulk. You can freeze them, cut them up very versatile, right? But a limited breakfast potential and B very, you know, thighs are better than breasts, but, but in terms of flavor, but you get a, you get a, you get a pork shoulder, you get like a five to eight pounder. You, you, you get that well seasoned, you slow cook it, you shred it. You got it. You, you, you can make hash with it in the morning. You can have it on the side with a couple over easy eggs. You got sandwiches. You got stuff for tacos, quesadillas, burritos. It's such a flexible meat and you're getting a lot out of it. You get two of those. That's lasting you. That's lasting you probably a month, if not more. So that's where I'm going with. Okay. I'm going to stick with my normal choice in these situations and go with a ribeye. Because oh, okay. I feel like all the the advantages you just have with the pork shoulder also exist with the ribeye, with the added advantage that you don't have to cook it for a long time for it to achieve maximum flavor potential. Good point. Good call. Yeah, the, Very the, good call. The, the pork shoulder, as much as I love the pork shoulder, it's kind of like the brisket. Like, you can do a lot with the brisket, but I don't want to have to wait, you know, six hours to cook the brisket, even in the oven, for it to really get to where I want it to get to. And That's I think with, with the ribeye, you can... You could have it as a steak. You could slice it up in sandwiches. You could shave it really fine. There's a lot of different things you could do with it, and so that's. that's it, I think that makes the most sense of anything. Right. If you it, now, of the common meats, is there one you're avoiding in this situation? Like, if you're given the like the, the chance, are you not? Is there anything you're going to steer clear of? Oh, that's of a, the of the common meats. Of like, the you know, common not, meats. Yeah. Um, I'm probably steering away from white fish. Yeah. Because it's like, I like a good white fish every now and again, um, but there's not a lot there. And, you know, it's just like, after a while, not just the flavor of the fish becomes, you know, very underwhelming, and I think just, just ends up sinking into the background of everything. But it's also the smell and just everything that goes around it. It's just kind of like, there's so many better options, and there's so much more versatility with other cuts of meat uh so i think and i wouldn't say that about every cut of fish like i think if it if, if someone said look you got to live off of tuna you know like you know like raw tuna steaks or, or or cooked tuna whatever i could probably do that salmon same thing white fish no fair yeah i would i'd probably steer clear of the uh of any kind of seafood or anything like that just because i don't know for me i've always found that the 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 cost benefit risk analysis on, on on cooking seafood like if you botch it or if it doesn't come out right you're 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 really limited on what you can do with it so i don't know i mean um, I, I will i will say seafood does work really well in stews and and i think you know i mean as long as you like shrimp for instance to me that'd be a great one to have to eat like you know throughout the entirety of of the virus but anyway uh all right let's uh let's switch gears to something else here so we had a question from uh, Chad Schwartzkopf. I've got a pork loin in the refrigerator and just have the standard kitchen affair, no smoker, etc. How should I prepare it? So, this is an interesting one. It's a tender, pork tenderloin. Okay. Um, I don't know if, you're, if you do pork tenderloin in your household at all. Mm-hmm. The uh, the uh, the famous pork sword, as we, as we call it in our house. The so pork sword. So if you're approaching the 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 pork sword, as it were, what direction are you going with that? So I'm going with um, 
if I have the if I have the stuff with me, some sort of some sort of marinade, probably a citrus marinade or something like that, kind of like a, a, a thrown together mojo, some lime, orange juice, some stuff like that, um, or a dry rub, either or. Um, and then the way I learned to do it, my friend Jared Paveni taught me this. You you, you uh, get the oven really really hot, like four fifty. Put it in there. I'm gonna botch. I don't remember the times, but put it in there very hot then turn the oven back down to like 300 325 for a little bit really let it kind of not slow cook you're usually done in like 45 minutes or so total um but that's worked well we did it in the instapot as well yep. which was a really solid solid way to do it cut the tenderloin in half and again um i think it was like 20 minutes just just to get it going but i think that was uh it, 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 I, i'm a big fan of that it's a it's it's a versatile cut a lot of good flavor you can get out of it and again you can cut it up in medallions afterward. You could shred it up if you want to do like a really quick kind of pulled pork or, or something along those lines. That's what I would do with it. Um, grilling it also works really well, too. Now we're getting into grilling season, so that's a good good way that I would do it as well. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not too far off from what you're talking about here. Although for me, you know, I'm, I'm certainly marinating it. It depends on what I'm aiming for, but... I like a soy sauce is always a good choice. You, you combine that, like you get something salty in there with something that's got either a citrus flavor or something that's a little bit on the sweeter side of things. Um, and then I'm searing it first after it sits in the marinade. I'm searing it in uh, on an iron skillet or a you know in a cast iron skillet at a pretty high rate of temperature. And then I'm sticking it in the oven at about 350 degrees until it's, you know, at the right temperature. And I think the thing with, you know, pork tenderloin is it's tenderloin of any sort is, I think, a really it's a tricky one to approach because it's not the same as other cuts of meat. You know, tenderloin in any of these is, uh, you know, it's it doesn't have any any marbling in it. Right, right. And um, that is going to be detrimental if you overcook it. And, and this is where, like, people get freaked out about pork, where they're like, oh, it has to be cooked completely through. And I'm not saying consume undercooked meat, because I think they electrocute you if you suggest that to people right. in podcasts. So I'm, I don't want that to happen. But I also will say, much like I advise people with salmon, like don't cook salmon to 135, cook it to 120, and then let it come up to temperature while it's resting. Right. Same thing with pork tenderloin. You have to, you get the sear on there, and that'll help a lot. You you don't want to then overcook it in the oven. And so just really be careful, and you know, play around with some of the temperatures. What I always, what a lot of times what I'll do is I'll cut the tenderloin in half. Sometimes there's two in there. So you might actually cut both of them in half. And play around a little bit with what temperature gets you to what level of doneness um, in terms of visuals. Cause you, you know, you want, you want some pink in there. Uh, you don't want it to be completely gray because then you're going to find that it's dried out and that's no fun. Right. right. And letting it rest. I mean, that's one of those things that like, as you start to to really learn to cook and it's something that I've, I've discovered too, along with like seasoning beforehand, letting meat rest after you cook it is like, it it really is a game changer in how the in how you and how the food is cooked, how it tastes, how the how moist it stays, it doesn't dry out. Like once you realize letting it rest is the important part, and and it keeps cooking while it's resting, like that's a huge huge game changer. 
let's switch gears here as we kind of wrap things up a little bit. Uh, so much of the the this last week has just been kind of like, okay, we've onboarded all this information regarding isolation and quarantine and, and the way that, that things are going virus-wise. Um, let me ask you a little bit about the way that this has been covered overall, because it really, I, I'm, it feels like there's like two completely different ways of coverage taking place. Like there's the, there's certainly the coverage of what's going on in Washington with the governmental response to this, but then the actual on the ground coverage of what's going on at hospitals and, and in healthcare facilities, I, it, it feels like there's a lot of really bad stuff going on and I don't feel like we're hearing that much about it. Do you, am I off base here? Do you feel differently or are you getting that sense as well? I mean, it's weird. It's weird because, you know, being so close to living so relatively close to New York City, like which is in so many ways the epicenter of of this outbreak. I think we're hearing a lot more of that kind of bad stuff, or at least I'm seeing it a lot more um, than maybe people in other in other places are just because of proximity to it. Um, um, and obviously the 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 governmental non-response and all the all the stuff with with Trump and all that has been um uh kind of a, a slow evolving calamity to have to watch um i don't know i guess I'm, i guess what in terms of bad stuff happening what are you are you referring to anything in particular well or? i just i keep seeing so for instance there was the story yesterday from new york uh city about the you know, what was going on at one of the ICUs. You know, you got the other story about there was a hospital in Brooklyn where it's been completely cleared out and is just intended for coronavirus patients. You're, I keep seeing little... There was a piece in BuzzFeed today where, which which I guess was the maybe the thing that got me thinking about this, but this piece essentially said, you know, the people that are experts in what's going on with coronavirus and the people, the healthcare people that are on the ground are looking at the numbers of like fatalities and saying, well, this doesn't match what we're seeing on the ground. Like the numbers should be much higher. Right. Um, you know, and I'm, you know, you're starting to see anecdotal things, videos from nurses that work in ICUs that are coming home and recording these things and put them on, putting them on Instagram where the, it feels like a much bigger problem already than is actually making the nightly news. Uh, or is is you know regularly circulating on on Facebook? Twitter's kind of weird because you know there's certainly a bunch of stuff out there, but it's hard to weigh the various stories and how they fit into the big picture of things. Right. Um, and and we're both in, when you're in media at all, you tend to kind of have not a New York centric view of the world, but you tend to get a lot more stuff from New York City just because so much media is based in New York City. So right. you kind of get reports on that as well. And I, I don't know, I, I guess it is always interesting for me to hear how it's, you know, how the story is being perceived, again, far away, because we're close enough. We just had a story today that, like, there's possibilities that New York City patients may be coming up here, where we have much smaller numbers in Monroe County, where I live, upstate and upstate, we have the viruses here, but it's obviously nowhere near the numbers that it is down in down in new york and i don't know i i, I feel like it's interesting the, the the general sense seems to be um of the coverage there seems to be a is it gonna is it starting to get any better or are we gonna be getting any better soon um and it i mean it doesn't seem like it but especially 
I think it's going to be very weird for people and weird to see the story go because the way the vi- – again, we're not epidemiologists. But the way the way it's spreading is like it might be done here in New York before it's done in Indiana, before it's done in Wyoming because wow. the way it's going to spread. And so like we could – you know we could see where it where it peaks in new york i think they're saying in like anywhere from two to four weeks could be the the peak inflection and then it starts to drop but those that's going to change in different places and and i think that you know kind of it's it's weird that we kind of you know i don't know if it's weird or not but interesting to think that we view this as a national story from a national lens and it's a very hyper local story at the state level at a city level at a county level and you know i wonder if well, our, 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 I, I do wonder, like, just thinking about it, our national media might not be best, the best lens through which to view a story like this that is more intensely local and intensely regional. See, I don't know that I agree with the idea that it's a local or regional story. I mean, yes, the individual cases are happening at a local or regional level, but they they are essentially a tapestry of... That's a good way of putting things it. that are going on across the the country, and and this is, I think, from the standpoint of how people view coronavirus within the confines of 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 isolation and and quarantine. This is, I think, an important point. You, you know w- what you just said a minute ago about well, this might peak in New York on X date, and it might not peak somewhere else until some other point. Peaking. I don't even think that necessarily means that it's over at that point. Oh, no, no, not at all. But a lot of people do. That's, yeah. A lot of people think, oh, okay, it's going to go, it's going to happen in New York, and then that's going to be it. And then it's like, that's not the way that it works. Like, what's what's likely going to happen is that there's going to be a, a, you know, a, a consistent threat from this. And we just saw this in Singapore, what, early this week. I've lost track of what day it was, where... You know, Singapore and I believe Hong Kong thought they had the thing contained and then something has happened uh, to get it back into the system of things. Like it's it's really fascinating watching this um, this process play out because I, I still don't think that the news consumer has a grasp on what and how to think about the virus. But I also don't really think that editors have a good idea. And this is where, like, the traditional sense of, well, we need to, you know, localize the story, localize the story. I don't know if it works in this sort of a situation because it's not, even though the cases, again, are local, it's not really a local story as much as it is pieces of a much larger puzzle that have to be talked about. No, I... I... I, I, I was ineloquent saying it, and you were more eloquent in saying it. That idea of a that, tapestry. That never happens right. on this podcast. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, and I think one of the, the – I think I said this maybe last week on one of our podcasts. But the, again, one of the weird things about this the life right now is if um, – you know – like in my like general circle, nobody that we know of, that that I know of has the disease or has knowledge has it. No one's sick with it. Um, no one in my neighborhood I think is sick with it. And so we're all taking these measures against this unseen thing um, that's happening. And that's really really weird. And I do wonder, um, you know, I, I was actually thinking I thought this week was going to be kind of getting back to what we were talking about at the beginning. I thought this week was going to be a challenge for pe- bigger challenge for people than it has been because it kind of got the 
uh, well, I, I, people starting to get antsier and like, no, I have to go out or I have to do something. It seems to have gone the opposite way, at least around here. Like people have kind of really embraced the idea of physical distancing and all of that. Um, but it is, it's such a, it's a, I hate to say fascinating story because it's such a terrible story, but it is an interesting thing to look at because it is both local and national and international really. And that, and that the, the, this, the, it's just it's so it's so fascinating to kind of see and infuriating and terrifying and all these different things but it's it's very it's 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 very weird i don't know i don't know how well media is set to cover something along these lines you know it's interesting that you say that uh you know people have handled it better this week the i think the the average person has you know who hasn't handled it better corporate america Oh God! No, no. <laughs> I think they just woke up this week and were like, "Wait, wait! Our labor force isn't particularly interested in coming back to work right now." <laughs> and uh, you know, and it's it's been interesting watching the reactions to that. You know, and and the the news cycles surrounding this have gotten and just it's just gone in places I didn't think it would go. I mean, I, it. It was always a possibility that it would go to, well, your grandma's going to have to die for the sake of the economy. But, but like, imagine, imagine, like, that would have, that would have been considered an unrealistic, liberal, progressive fantasy. Yes. Three weeks ago to have said, yeah, you know, a bunch of corporate leaders are going to be suggesting that people need to, you know, to die in order for the economy to move along. It's like, wow, okay. Um, it, and, even today, you know, you 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 consistently see now um, there this this chain of commentary in the you know the public sphere. I think it's popping up more and more on Twitter now, where you've got people talking along those lines. Like, well, you know, it's still it's not that big of a deal, and the economy right. the economy's health is more important than you know wrecking everything to try to stop this virus. And it's just it's it's fascinating how that all seems settled on Friday of last week, and now it's gotten very much unsettled as the news cycle has continued throughout the course of this week. It, um, it Yeah, like the funniest thing today is, of course, Rudy Giuliani saying something like that, either in person or on Twitter. I didn't see it, but uh, basically saying like X amount of people die every day, da-da-da-da-da, and everyone pointing out, well, you know, 3,000 people died on 9-11. Was that just something that should have been brushed up aside? But it is. It's almost like the... You know, like like the weird secret of the uh, of the last three four years of politics is um, certain. Uh, a lot more people are saying the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet, and I think that like when like the the first time I think it was the lieutenant governor of Texas was the first one who said was publicly like yeah grandparents would be willing to die to help the economy of their grandkids which. Mm, no, not the ones uh, I've just, talked to. No, 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 no. But I, it just seems like that's a really stupid. Well, it's hell to die on. It's like, not, but I, that's I'm, a, I'm immoral and everything. But it's also like, really, this is what you're going to, well, this is what you're going to try to do. It's not even a stupid hill to die on because it's not, that's not how it works. Right. To, to quote, <laughs> to quote a famous commercial. That's I mean, it's not like, oh, you know, we're going to stop the the isolation and just go back to work and everything's going to be fine that's just that's not how this is operating and right. you know this is 
it's not a situation where it's like, well, everybody's gone for a little bit and, and then goes back like nothing happened. Like what you said about news not really being well-suited to cover this sort of a story because it's never really dealt with this kind of a story before. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the way that corporate America has arranged, and it's not just corporate America, it's also nonprofit America, education America, everything in this society is built around this idea that the show goes on regardless. Well, mm-hmm. this is an environment where if the show goes on, the problems mount incredibly quickly. Uh, and and there's just the the amount... I mean, you've already got... There were stories out of Indianapolis where the, the, the NICU at Methodist Hospital, which is the biggest uh, neonatal ICU in the state, has now been cleared out of babies because they're going to use it for coronavirus patients. And it's like, that is not compatible with a normally functioning economy. It's just not. No, like the, not. And, and this fantasy land that people, particularly people who should know better, uh, you know, are engaging in and trying to, to frame this around like, oh, it's not that dangerous of a situation and people need to get back to work because of the economy, the economy, the economy. That's, that's just, it's not even the same... I mean, to quote Pulp Fiction, you know, it's not the same game. It's not the same league. It's not even the same sport. Like right. we're not, we're not talking about, well, it's a bank holiday. No, it's, it's, it, this should right. essentially be like a, there's a work stoppage going on. I did another podcast with, with someone based in Miami who covers the the wine and food industry. And, you know, she's talking about, you know, restaurants are going out of business, people yeah. that deal in wine and, and and drink and food and all this. I mean, they don't have jobs because people aren't going out and spending money. So it's like, mm-hmm. if, even if those people were to go back to work, A, they don't have jobs, and B, the companies that employed them don't have customers. So what right. the hell are we doing right now? Right. So no, it, it, It's all this weird and like, I'm not an investor. I have a 401k that I'm, of course, not looking at for any time at, at, at any point in the near future. Uh, like I'm going to retire anyway. That's funny. Um, but it's the idea of like not even getting people back to work. It's just it, it, it feels very clear, at least to me, that this is all pr- like trying to prop up and get the stock market to rebound. Like that's all this is. It's not even about getting the economy back. It's not about helping small businesses. It's about it's about that artificial number on Wall Street that they're trying to, to to pump it up. I never thought we'd sound like a couple of neo-socialists on here, but here we are. But um, oh, is neo-socialist a thing? I just made that up. Oh, it is now. Okay, we are the neo. It's, we are your. Oh, we are your anti-Texans neo-socialist podcast. We're the that we're the, the we're the we're the we're uh, the we're the late stage capitalism of neo-socialists. <laughs> Love it. What? So I don't know. <laughs> I don't I'm know. Not even a, those aren't things. Yeah, but uh, no, I just look, and I'm I. I am generally a believer in a you know the 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 market and in the the concept of the economy moving along as a as a piece, but it's not moving in most places right now. Um, you know the and I think the reality is we we haven't seen a pandemic at this level in a long time. And the last time that you the world saw something like this, it was a very different sort of world. And right. there's you know the the speed and the activity with which the economies of the world operate 
are not really compatible with where this is at, and it's a difficult situation. But the messaging that's out there, I just think it's interesting how much how much of a back and forth is going on in terms of what people are supposed to believe and what people are supposed to think. And what it's ended up doing is, you know, kind of pitting people against each other because of the fact that the messaging is very inconsistent. And it, that's something that seems to be very uniquely American. Like you're not seeing a lot of, uh, you know, there was like, I was, I was reading something the other day about how the, the opposition party in Italy didn't go out and criticize the government for shutting the country down. They criticized them for not doing enough to shut the country down. Okay. You know, it's like, well, (laughs) that's okay. So we're arguing the same side of the coin there. It's like, you're, you're arguing levels of, of, uh, of severity and how you're doing it, but everybody's kind of on the same page. Whereas Mm -hmm. there's legitimate arguments taking place in, in, you know, national media outlets right now in the United States about whether the steps that are being taken are even necessary. And that just blows my mind given what we already know. And it's just funny because the people who keep making the arguments against doing things or, or about going back to work are the same people who have been wrong about this literally every step of the way. And it's just after a while, it's like, folks, maybe sit this out. Like maybe just like shut the fuck up and just stop talking for a little while. I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm with you on that one. This is this is clearly a time for the uh, the uh, the anchorman gift to be sent to uh, <laughs> to the Republican Party. And be like, maybe so they are champ in this regard, and I think they just need to to uh, to take a little break on this. Yeah. Anyway, you know, if you yeah, if you're consistently wrong, you you people stop listening to you. Or they should. Well, they don't. Like some, they don't. They they you you can basically act like you were not wrong. At, right. At, and that's that's something that is. It's fascinating, and this is one of those things, and maybe we wrap up with this, and this is not particularly unique to either you know, side of the political aisle, but people's willingness to just forget when people were wrong about things, like demonstrably and, and horribly wrong about things, I think people need to be a lot less forgiving about that. I would agree like with if, that, yeah. You know, the consumer... Uh, the consumer gets a lot of of slack from you know the the watchdogs we blame media people we blame politicians for lying and we should but we also at some point the the consumer needs to take charge of what they're consuming and say well you know these people were really wrong about things i'm not going to listen to them anymore um rather than just being like oh well they corrected themselves therefore they must be it must be okay right. now it's like that's that's you're incentivized. It's kind of like all of these things, you know, to take it back to this economic thing. It's like, you know, the airlines get bailed out. They spend money on the wrong things. Now they need bailed out again. It's like, well, if you give them the money, you're you're basically incentivizing them to do all of the wrong things again. Um, right. You know, and that's I think we've seen over and over again that you're not accomplishing anything by constantly rewarding bad behavior. I mean, it's like it's like nobody has ever had a dog. Right. Yes. You know? Anyway. Anyway. So uh, we'll wrap up with, with that. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Um, I don't think so. My cat has made an appearance in the room. She hasn't. She's not going to come over here because she's a cat, you know. Well. A terrible thing. But, you know, uh, my sweet precious angel is in the room, and uh, we've locked our dog out of the studio because he likes to pee on things still. Yeah. Um, so um, that's what I've got. 
Fair enough. Uh, my <laughs> my dog tried to eat my lunch earlier. One of my oh. dogs did, but it's okay. We uh, he he got some kennel time as a result of that. Just to re- you know, we'd, again, we don't want to incentivize bad behavior. I think exactly. That's the, the important exactly. Thing we should there. just put all these these uh, elected officials in a kennel for twenty minutes. Boeing CEO in the kennel. Uh, <laughs> by the way, great little piece on Boeing. They they said they would refuse public help if there were equity strings attached, and then claim they had a bunch of other options, but then failed to name what any of those options were. The right. whole thing's quite fascinating. Anyway, <laughs> thanks to you folks for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back with more completely unpredictable podcasting probably next week. For Brian Moritz, I'm Galen Clive. It's the flip side. Catch ya.